while she was explaining, you know, the whole race question came up and her parents were very disappointed and kind of, they, they quote, said to her that they didn't think she had it in her to kind of do something like this and, and really kind of burden her that she was really making the wrong decision. And Hey podcast. I know it's been a while since I've posted, but I hope uh, everyone is staying healthy and staying safe during these challenging times. The next few episodes will be centered around the Black Lives Matter movement and the need for people like you and me to speak out against racial injustices that face the black community and people of color. I have spoken to current and former Western University student-athletes to make sure their voices are heard by all of you and that these issues can be understood better in hopes that more people can be educated on racial injustice. Today's episode, I talked to Alex Salichev, another former teammate of mine and a defensive back on the Mustangs men's football team. Please listen and educate yourself along the way. It's very much appreciated. All love to all of you. So, Alex, what have, you been, what have your emotions been like for the past couple of weeks ever since uh, George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery's deaths? Um, tired. Uh, kind of just... Uh... I, I, I'd i say, to be honest, I've been just kind of fed up, you know, um, just with everything kind of going on. I just feel like things like this happen a little late, like a little too much. And, uh, you know, I just been getting tired, even since like Trayvon Martin and like Tamir Rice, like, I just remember those moments and I don't know, just the whole thing, the fact that it's still going on, it just kind of makes me, uh, I guess, tired, you know? Like, obviously, it's not a time to get tired, not a time to, you know, keep your mouth shut. And that's, I'm, I've been doing the opposite. And, but I just feel like mentally and, like, everything, just seeing all the, the news and the different cases and, you know, it, it's just kind of taxing mentally. What uh, what is your goal or the the ultimate goal for all of the uh, social media campaigning after the murder of George Floyd and countless other African Americans who have been uh, mistreated because of the color of their skin? Uh, I believe change first and foremost is uh, reform, whether it's in the uh, you know legislation across the world, whether it's in uh, society. I think uh, change and empathy are like the two main you know, outcomes, or even education as well. How's it going? Uh, sorry about that. Just uh, change, I guess, empathy and education, I'd say, just in terms of uh, kind of educating, you know, everyone. Everyone about, sorry, the pupper came and said what's up. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd just say those three things. Uh, I really think the world needs change in terms of equality and, and getting away from this systemic and institutionalized racism, you know, that, you know, it could have been passed down generation to generation, it could have been taught in schools, you know, like, who knows how it actually, you know, populated this many people in the world, but it's still there. And I, and I think empathy is another big one. I think having, you know, white people and other privileged individuals kind of empathize and see the double standard, I think that's a big one. Just so, uh, 
you know, just so it's kind of apparent, you know, they, they don't just get to close their eyes or turn a blind eye whenever things are, uh, you know, aren't sweet. And I think you kind of need to be held accountable for stuff like that. And uh, just education, really, I think the biggest thing, the solution to everything is just having, you know, everyone become more aware of the injustices and the oppression that are going on and just kind of doing something about it. So, yeah, I'd say those three. Now, this past Tuesday was Blackout Tuesday. Do you think that uh, social media initiative kind of worked in a way? Honestly, I think it. Uh, I think it was a powerful message in the sense that I know on my Instagram, uh, I, every post was a black screen. I thought that was an effective way of taking a break from just your normal selfies and your normal content that people put out. And I think it was a good way to just kind of, you know, support and show, you know, solidarity with the movements going on and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I, and I know it was Blackout Tuesday and there's a lot of uh, clarification not to use the hashtags because it would, um, you know, take up a lot of the, the hashtag um, and the posts that, you know, are actually doing the jobs that, you know, we don't really see and kind of, you know, minimized it and filtered it so only the, the Black images would show up. So, I mean, I, I saw the importance of Blackout Tuesday. I know some people might have did uh, BLM or Black Lives Matter as a hashtag as well. And that kind of cluttered up, you know, the Instagram feeds and, you know, all the other social feeds about this uh ongoing issue so I do see the productivity and, and the cons of it but I think it was more so just a way for people to kind of take a break from their normal content creation and normal publishing of whatever content they want whatever photos they want and just kind of remind them of what's going on in the world even if they are choosing to just ignore it just in summary I'd say um, it was an effective kind of strategy to, to force people to pay attention to the movement going on I think it was a, a very impactful, you know, and, you know, well-supported thing that, like, my whole timeline was just Black images with the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. Uh, some people use Black Lives Matter as a hashtag, um, but I see, I saw a lot of stories where people were kind of correcting everyone and trying to free up that hashtag so that the people are actually protesting and, you know, putting in the actual work to kind of you know, promote quality. And, you know, they're kind of getting filtered out with all the black images and their voice isn't getting heard. So um, that was one of the little cons that I felt that was, uh, you know, it wasn't as effective as it could have been, but I did feel like it was a successful uh, social media kind of campaign where it did kind of still get its message across, but it's effective. Um, it kind of ranges if you want to, you know, ask anyone about their opinion. It kind of, I believe it kind of would range just on how effective it actually was. But I thought it was pretty effective. I thought, um, for the most part, a lot of people on my timeline or my feed that I didn't think would support this movement showed support um, using the image. So I, I do think it was a very uh, popular and widely accepted thing at the end of the day. Now, do you see yourself as a football player and a student athlete at Western as an ambassador for change against uh, racial injustice in your community? Ah, uh -huh, for sure. I feel like anyone really with a, 
of kind of a, a responsibility or an influence that's just bigger than you know yourself like if you stand for anything if you are a part of something bigger than just you if you're you know a member of the community trying to make a difference in any way like I believe it's kind of on the community leaders in any way to just be like the at the front of a movement like this and to kind of you know just make the the public a little more educated on the matter um for the most part I believe that it's kind of my job to kind of educate uh sorry about that uh, I'll just restart I believe it's it's kind of my job to educate my followers or like the people that follow me that want to see my my you know my posts my my um content i guess uh i believe it's my job to kind of educate them in my perspective uh the question you asked before what, what you think will uh will help change the most i think empathy and education are like two of the main things um and and that just goes to show like if i can you know sh- repost or or just like highlight things that i want my followers my uh the people that look at my stuff to see uh, I definitely feel like I can advocate change that way effectively and, and post uh, things that people that are educated on the matter could see and, you know, start questioning some of the, the actions they see in their lives and, you know, start, you know, I think change starts in, in slow, you know, beginnings, but then after you kind of have that snowball effect or once everyone's kind of on board um, and, you know, things start getting moving then you'll just pick up momentum and I'll just keep going until you know you crush the barriers that are in society right now so you know I believe as a a western football player or just like a you know someone in the community trying to make a difference I think it's on me it's on everyone else that represents something bigger than themselves to kind of band together and and really kind of do what's right and I think that's at the end of the day is really all society needs people of all communities that you know are, are leaders in their own way whether it's through sports through arts through club association through you know just being someone in the community i think it's kind of on everyone to to do what's right in these times have uh, have you and or any of your loved ones been a victim of direct racism oh yeah i've been a victim of my life um yeah, too many stories, to be honest. Uh, I went to a school in the U.S., private school from last two years of high school. And I was just trying to, you know, as, at a boarding school, you know, you're you're constantly, you know, in touch with your peers. And I was, you know, beginning to be in a relationship with this, uh, you know, white girl at my school. And her parents kind of asked on Christmas whether, uh, you know, what, just little things about me. We didn't really have any photos together, so she had to explain it. And um, while she was explaining, you know, the whole race question came up and her parents were very disappointed and kind of, they, they quote, said to her that they didn't think she had it in her to kind of do something like this and, and really kind of burden her that she was really making the wrong decision. And, you know, it, it all stems from like a really outdated, hateful kind of, mindset that like a lot of Americans in my opinion may be subject to and may not be aware of Uh, I'm not going to point fingers and say everyone there does but it's definitely a very outdated kind of uh, mindset that still plagues America to be honest and just kind of being subject to something like that and you know her parents ended up burdening her to the point where 
you know, she told me everything. And, you know, as soon as I read the text, like, I, that was pretty much it with the relationship. You know, I was one of the, you know, I was in that situation. And, and as a Canadian, being like a foreigner into a, a private school in the U.S., like, I don't know, I've never been subject to any type of discrimination or racism in the sense of, uh, you know, in a relationship. Like, I, I've been in, you know, several, you know, mixed, I guess, interracial relationships in Canada. So, like, when I came to the prep school, you know, I was just, I was honestly just still focused on football and still focused on achieving my goals. But, you know, I just had a class with her, you know, we started uh, really trying to see if it was really realistic. And then that just kind of woke me up and made me realize that, like, there's more, you know, there's there's more very embedded problems in kind of the in the world i can't just pinpoint america because racism happens everywhere but there's really embedded and and very you know hateful thoughts and and inequality that plagues people's minds and that was just really the first one that really got me aware of how you know i i could be in the same school as her daughter very you know reputable and and uh prestigious prep school in the United States and like you know I could have earned my my spot the same way she did or, or I could have done more and you know it would have been for nothing because of just my skin color you know and I, I really think that that was kind of the main reason why I wanted to speak up when this revolution is going on now because it could literally ha happen to anyone like anyone that doesn't resemble you know like a normal white person is subject to injustices and, and and just racism like it doesn't have to be just the I know it happens predominantly to black people around the world but like I know people that you know aren't black or you know people of color that you know people across when they're walking down the street they, they switch sides you know like just little forms of you know I wouldn't say like just oh, like little forms of discrimination and just like micro racism I guess where you're just like you're not comfortable to just cross the street on the same time or say the side as someone of uh, of color. So, you know, I did this in this examples I could talk about of the the racist, you know, injustices that I felt in my life. But I don't know. Just I think that one is a big one for me, just kinda you know, working my way to a to my dream and being going to a prep school and continuing to better myself academically and athletically just to kind of step outside of my comfort zone and, and be faced with some racism, you know, it really, it really shocked me. So, uh, I'd say that's uh, my example of direct racism that happened to me. And I have screenshots of it still. Like I remember getting it on my iPhone four and as soon as I received the text, I just screenshotted it right away. Cause like, this is one of the main forms of racism that happened to me in my life. So, I definitely wanted to kind of record it and, you know, even looking back on it probably six years, six years ago, um, it's still one of those things that just hits different every time I see it. And it happens to everyone, sadly, and, you know, who knows how the countless of many acts that have been similar to my situation or even worse that have happened, you know, so I think that's the main reason why, or one of the main reasons why this outdated, ooh, this outdated uh hateful kind of ideology is even a thing and needs to be changed obviously 
No, I'm sure you've seen in the NFL community uh, before he eventually apologized, Drew Brees kind of said that uh, he'll never agree with someone disrespecting the flag. And then right after that, Fox News reporter Laura Ingram said that he's a person uh, and that he should have an opinion. But this is coming from the same person who said that LeBron James should shut up and dribble. What kind of reaction do you have that, to that kind of hypocrisy? Uh, it's, that's, what I'm, that's what I talk about when I say it's institutionalized. You know, it's uh, these people, you know, this, I, this kind of racist inequality or unequal ideology. It stems from, you know, being taught and institutionalizing children at a young age. And then I think it's very, very, very dangerous in the sense that if people get power, you know, so like someone was raised to be kind of racist and think like, you know, a white person can get away with saying some things a black person can't. And like once they get a position of power, a.k.a. president of the United States or leading news reporter or, you know, et cetera, their their narratives and their agendas really get you know put on for everyone to see and and just seeing how this reporter said that drew Brees has entitled to his opinion when lebron should just shut up and dribble or you know like just that type of hypocrisy is that's what's just wrong with america like when you have someone's influential as a reporter or even the president have this double standard and have this apparent you know hypocrisy in terms of combating you know, social, you know, this is like what society is like. So like when you see it firsthand and when the world's beginning to open their eyes on this kind of topic and everyone kind of sees how like the media is very, very vocal on what they want and what agenda they want to put out and and how they kind of interpret all the news and, and, you know, like how LeBron can just say his two cents on an issue and just get told to shut up or... Drew Brees can hold some outdated ideology and be entitled to his opinion, you know? So it really kind of shows that the real problem is so embedded in in the world that, like, even in the United States specifically, like, the problem isn't as, you know, shallow as we think. Like, there's, like, 400 years worth of inequality in that country, you know? So, like, having someone like Drew Brees say that he doesn't respect anyone that, that doesn't honor the flag or, or, you know, the national anthem. I forget the exact quote, but he more so was, you know, a lot of people have that mindset because, you know, a lot of, you know, especially affluent white people in America that have relatives that might have fought in, in wars or, or the Revolutionary War or, or, you know, anything like that. It's a, it's a type of pride and it's a type of kind of, uh, tradition almost to have to celebrate you know the the bravery and you know and to an extent like that's just how they think and you know to have family that's served and you know could have lost their life in a battle and you know to return or, or even if they passed away in the battle their legacy remains in their family's hearts and for Drew Brees to say that like it really kind of undermines that whole other side of the equation where where black folk at that time were forced to fight for a side that might even not have their best interests, you know, um, a country that they could fight for and come back and still not have their full freedom. Uh, it shows the double standard of how, like, you know, if life's sweet and you don't really see anything wrong, then, like, why fix it type thing, you know? So 
I think that's what Drew Brees kind of – he and he also apologized and his teammates kind of educated him on the sense of where he was wrong and, and how he can think differently. And I, and I really think that, like, back to my previous point, that, like, education and empathy are among the, the main reasons, the main things to kind of have change, which is, like, the, the last one that I said. So I, I really think that, like, a lot of people just a lot of white people in america or even around the world are people that are racist i shouldn't even say white people there's because there's there's racist people that you know sadly aren't even white you know so it's a global thing i think the racists really in the news and, and influential positions are the ones that really push the agenda and i think once we kind of regulate those kind of people first I think the world itself would change rapidly in the, in the process as well. And, uh, yeah, I think if change starts, those things, those kind of things where Donald Trump could say that protesters in Minnesota are thugs and, you know, all the hoodlums. Well, I don't even know what the exact quotes he said, but his, his message got across is that these people are, are unequal than the ones that were protesting in Michigan or wherever they were protesting where, for haircuts and, and, you know, for being able to go to a recreational park or, or whatever they're arguing about during a global pandemic. Um, so, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it just kind of shows that, like, people in positions of power that have this kind of unequal mindset are the ones that are really, really pushing the agenda. And, like, you know, LeBron's making, like, honestly like revolutionary action by being so vocal about stuff like this and and kind of having his following become aware whether they like it or not like, and that's I think that's another thing like people are standing up whether the people that follow them like it or not and like I'm losing followers I'm sure a lot of other people that are vocal about this are losing followers and like to be honest like it's it's a good thing you know it's good to kind of you know get a filter out all the racists and the people that don't see things this way and even if the posts or even the news kind of got to them and they they felt the injustices and they felt the double standard and they felt you know like how people are feeling and how like black people around the world are feeling and they're combating this this revolution head on and they're taking you know what's right for them and even if they don't like it like they're going to be subject to it in the future it's one of those things where it's also the privilege that like they can choose what they want to see and how they can live their life because like they have that privilege you know like they can choose to ignore something like this and their life won't change at all you know like but going back to what you're initially talking about i, I do think the hypocrisy is a bigger kind of systemic issue that is under the umbrella of this institutionalized racism so that's how i kind of conclude it now, for people who are white or non-black like me, what is their next move to kind of help in the fight against racial injustice? Uh, I think, uh, you know, empathy, obviously education, but, but even just standing in solidarity, you know, doing what's right. Um, you know, a lot of people aren't born racist, like no one's born racist, so like, the fact that that ideology was kind of taught or the privilege was kind of taught in a way that people might not be able to relate to. I think the biggest thing to kind of show support to this revolution 
is to you know, do your part and just doing what's right. And if that's standing in solidarity, if that's donating, if that's being silent online and educating your family members, you know, outside of the social media realm, I think there's several solutions that can be, you know, that can come out and and be impactful. And, and I think that right now, the fact that there are so many different options for solutions is very essential for a movement like this, where if you looked at the previous movements in the past, like they've been kind of, um, well, they haven't been enough, obviously, but they've also been kind of uh, one or two dimensional. You know, they haven't really covered a lot of different avenues and global um, areas that like this movement now, this revolution that's happening now has actually touched and like all 50 states in the US have probably been protesting. Um, I believe I saw somewhere online that like there was somewhere between like eight, eight plus countries. Or I, I believe it's definitely more now, but at least like the global community is recognizing this movement as well. And that's, that's just, you know, white people, people of color, even black people are just understanding that like, this is wrong. We're all humans. Like at the end of the day, if we all get buried six feet under, our bones are, you know, our, our molecular and, you know, our makeups are all very similar. We're all humans. We're all homo sapiens. It's not a matter of skin color. It's a matter of doing what's right for humanity. And also just realizing that like the injustices that were going on for all those years are just wrong. And now that we finally have enough of a platform to kind of speak up and make a difference. I think now it's just catching like wildfire all around the world. So yeah, this is how I, how I think. What does uh, Western and or the city of London have to do right now to kind of make your voice heard and the voices of other people of color heard to ultimately create real change for their uh, affected communities? Uh, it's uh a question like that is a, it's a little more difficult to answer, in my opinion. The institutions have, a, I think, a lot more kind of groundwork to put in to create change. Just because those institutions are with elected officials or they have responsibilities to kind of, that they were appointed to, to kind of continue withholding and to continue honoring their responsibilities. And as you, as you might have saw on Twitter, like, um, Western made their support for the black community and stood in solidarity through everything going on. And, you know, there's alumni, there's past, there's people in London, there's people around Ontario and in Canada that don't agree, obviously, and they're vocal about their, their rights and freedoms and their free speech. So there's a, there's an alumni that said he would withhold and, and withdraw his uh, annual alumni donation. And after Western kind of made that, so the um, declaration of support and solidarity you know so I think that it's a significantly larger issue for institutions as you know they kind of harbor thousands and thousands of students you know annually that are continuing to kind of they come into western in hopes of gaining new knowledge to help them progress in life and then after they're done at western they're kind of on to their own thing you know so it's tough for us for an institution to kind of touch the lives of individuals that have thought a certain way their whole life um, and kind of alter their perspective, I'd say. But that's also part of the issue that we have to tackle. We have to tackle 
this institutionalized uh, racism, whether it happens actually in classrooms or it happens to people that are attending these classrooms and, you know, they're kind of just not allowing change to happen. I think for city of London, um, I, I honestly, I, I, I think it just comes down to kind of head up where like the heads of all these institutions are like, the mayor or like the elected officials in the city of London or like the president or, you know, all the deans um, at Western or around the community really need to kind of sit down and collectively understand the movement and the revolution that's going on and, and really kind of put into perspective collectively as to like what matters most and like what really is needed at a school or in a city of like London or like Western first and foremost and kind of prioritize everything that way. And obviously there'll be, you know, people that don't agree with the change, people that don't see why change is, you know, needed in the first place, but having something come from the elected officials, um, genuinely as well like I, I think there's a way that ha this has to be kind of genuinely expressed I don't think you can just type you know on a document in tw 12 uh, point font times new roman um, just type it out and upload it online and, and that would just be interpreted into the community as something that uh, you know would make a difference I really think that the elected officials kind of and they're doing a good job you know I saw western they, like I said, they, they supported the movements that are going around and advocated for equality. So, you know, steps are being made. Um, I, I do kind of appreciate that. But I also feel like, you know, just being aware and of everything kind of going on. Because, like, a lot of the times people aren't aware because it doesn't really affect them. So even, like, I don't know what demographic most of the elected officials in London or around Western are. but. Uh, just kind of being aware and just kind of understanding that this stuff might not relate to them directly, but the fact that they're aware of it's still going on and that they're advocating for change. I just think that's the best thing that could happen and, and just kind of creating policies and creating change that will prioritize what's needed first and then kind of continue dealing with social and, and, you know, problems as they go. So I definitely think prioritizing and, and just kind of doing what's right. Like uh, the common theme of this whole thing is uh, is necessary. Uh, just last question, if you have time, uh, are you gonna go to the protest uh, today in London? For sure, yeah. I, I actually came to London to go to the protest. I went to the Kitchener-Waterloo one and, and that was incredible. That was an incredible experience for me. Um, I went along with some of my friends around the area because I'm from Cambridge so that's like the next town over for me so um seeing the amount of support that, that one you know got was incredible and I know London will be the exact same or similar turnout I know a lot of people are passionate about this movement um and yeah so I came to London to kind of go to this movement today and and I think it'll be another powerful and very empowering experience like when I went to the Kitchener Waterloo one it was very empowering seeing not just black people and people of color kind of advocating for this, but just white people as well. And just like ranging from age, you know, like I see people wearing suits that probably just came from work or, you know, they 
they came and, and still walked and still marched. And, and I think the community is doing a really good job of also being safe. Um, not everyone's like a knucklehead that's not wearing a mask or just yelling, you know, you know, just trying to, I think everyone's doing a good job of staying safe as well and still advocating for what's right. And uh, that's really how the community should be coming together during times like this and, and really kind of doing what's right. And uh, I'm, I'm just excited to see what London and what the London protest is like in a city like this. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, I, because I, Kitchener Waterloo obviously isn't really a, a big city like Ottawa or even Toronto or anything like that. And, and just seeing how many people, like, I can't even imagine in Ottawa how many people came to something like that. And I remember I was videotaping just like I was marching, but I was also just trying to create memories and something I can like show my kids one day. And, and just seeing the endless, endless amounts of signs just down the street and directly in front of me and directly behind me was something that I'll never forget. And I think times like this, we'll, we'll reflect on it. And, you know, when, when even if we have kids and they ask, like, what were you doing during times like this? You know, like being a part of that and just being able to share a memory of something like that is, is just something I'll cherish for the rest of my life and kind of empowered me to continue you know advocating for change and and it just kind of motivated me to to solve this issue that's been going on for so so long around this world so it was definitely a, a great experience um i know a lot of my friends enjoyed their experience as well and it was just a good day like no one was really is a peaceful march i'm sure yours was peaceful as well um and the message got across to thousands of people and that's all that really matters you know like you don't have to, uh, you know, go crazy or, you know, you can just kind of, in Canada, you know, we, we've kind of ex exemplified the fact that we can still advocate for change without, like, necessarily it happening to us. Like, we see racism as an issue and doesn't really have borders. So just the fact that we're kind of doing it here is like a very, and other countries are doing it there. and It's not just an America thing, so. Yeah, I'm definitely happy with how the protests have been, and I'm excited for the one today. Yeah, I saw the Trudeau was at the one in Ottawa, and so was the mayor of Ottawa. And uh, that was pretty interesting to see that, uh, I mean, probably won't find Trump at any of these kinds of things. Oh, so. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And even but, Trudeau, I, I felt like Trudeau's statement, that statement he made on Trump's actions, I thought that was yeah. powerful. I thought that was so powerful. I know um, for politicians and, and political leaders, it's sometimes difficult to kind of say your own agenda on air when you get these tough questions and, you know, you have to stick to the script and, and not kind of create an agenda or a narrative that isn't necessarily the, the desired one to make in that moment. But I felt like Trudeau really showed his backbone and really uh, stood up for, you know, the world and, and just as a political leader kind of making a statement like that that addressing and acknowledging that there are injustices and there are, is racism in Canada and that you know just kind of the the leader of the country just showing support and, and addressing these facts and confirming them and like it makes it real hard for these people that are ignoring it to really kind of close their eyes when it's the reality it's the leader of your country is telling you it's a reality like you can say and you can believe that racism isn't a thing in Canada, but the Prime Minister of Canada literally just made a statement that acknowledges it. 
So at this point, like you can be ignorant and you cannot choose to believe that. But the leader of your country just made that statement. And I really felt like that was powerful. That probably that, that probably angered a lot of people just to, to kind of be forced to, to hear those words come out of his mouth. But it's the right thing to do at the end of the day. And, you know, this type of revolution is something that is long time coming. So just any type of support like that is just unbelievable, in my opinion. Gotta sleep late nights, ayy. Lot of sleepless nights. I've been on my grind for a minute. When your time has no limit, you gon' shine. Lot of sleepless nights. Hey sports fans, hope you learned a little something from that episode. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and subscribe to my YouTube channel for more content and news in your sports world. Thanks for listening and see you soon.